everyone. Welcome to another Vive podcast by WCAPS, Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ucha Nambawike, and I work an intern for the Illicit Trafficking Working Group here at WCAPS in partnership with WISE Women in International Security. I'm very excited to have a conversation with our Yvonne Benson Idahosa, lawyer, the executive director and founder of Pathfinders Justice Initiative Incorporated, an NGO which seeks to eradicate sex trafficking and the exploitation of women and girls in Nigeria. Ms. Benson Idahosa is a leading expert and thought leader on the subject of modern day slavery in Sub-Saharan Africa. Welcome to the podcast, Yvonne. I'm very excited to have you here. So excited to be able to join you. Thank you. Before we get started, I wanted to wish Pathfinders a happy seventh birthday. You guys have accomplished so much in less than 10 years, including being leading consultants in Nigeria's anti-trafficking response. You've served over 2,500 women who are now survivors of violence. I mean, the list goes on and on with all that you've accomplished in such a short time. Happy birthday to you all. Wow, thank you. But, you know, it, it does feel, I remember at the beginning, people, people said, oh, the time's going to go back by so quickly. And I thought, no, it's not. But um, it does seem just like yesterday that we started. And it's um, been such an incredible journey, um, being able to partner uh, with women and really help to restore uh, hope and vision uh, for a future that, that we would all like to see um, for, for women and girls across, across the world. So um, really, really excited, grateful uh, to the amazing team um, and, and volunteers and supporters that we have that have been able to really bring this vision, vision to light. Yeah, that, that is one, wonderful. I know I saw that you guys have like over 300 volunteers and, and it's wonderful that your organization does a really good job with partnering with so many stakeholders and um, just leverage, leveraging that uh, and the expertise of not only your organization, but others to you know, do this great work. So I, it's, it's very inspiring to see what you all are doing. Thank you. So speaking of, you know, all of the wonderful accomplishments you guys have had, you know, over 2,500 women are now survivors of violence because of Pathfinders. What story most inspired you so far from all of these women you served? Well, I, you know, there, there's so many, uh, but, you know, I think for me as a visionary, um, I tend to see the world as it should be, um, as opposed to how it actually is. And so, um, looking through that lens of justice, I'm constantly striving to make, um, it's really essentially turn the world right side up, right? And so that's, that's ultimately my goal. And so I think, you know, the stories for me that most deeply impact um, me are, are those that I envisioned um, in a way that ultimately um, could have been an outcome of justice that, that, that either did not end up that way or still have the potential to end up that way, but currently are not that way. And so one of the ones I think comes to mind um, is a young woman named Faith, uh, who was, you know, in her early 20s, um, really came from a background of abject poverty, um, wasn't well educated, you know, had parents who were not well educated, um, and, you know, was really struggling um, after she uh, got pregnant as a result uh, of, a, of a rape, and uh, didn't, you know, didn't have even the funds to be able to buy anti-malaria tablets for her daughter who was very sick. 
Um, she, ultimately, she was approached by a trafficker who um, came alongside and said, you know, we'd be more than happy, you know, to take you abroad uh, where, you, you, where you'd be working in prostitution, uh, but at least you'd be able to have enough money to take care um, of your of your child and and provide for other members of your family, and you know I think that you know it's easy for us you know to kind of or Nigerians in general you know to sort of sit in judgment of somebody who makes that sort of uh, decision um, when when we're devoid of the stresses and um, the um, the pressure that come with watching a sick child potentially die from something that, you know, from, from an illness that, you know, could be cured by medication that costs less than a dollar. But she took, you know, she took advantage of this opportunity and I put opportunity in quotes, um, but she was ultimately trafficked initially to Libya and then trafficked uh, to Russia where she ended up um, with kidney uh, disease uh, because her traffickers would not even allow her to get um, medication for a reoccurring, um, for reoccurring uh, urinary tract infections. And um, at the point where she was no longer useful to them, this was maybe two or three years in um, after having her work. And again, work is in quotes because obviously she's being, she's being trafficked, um, you know, work uh, 18, 15 to 18 hours a day, being forced to have sex with anywhere between 15 and 20 men on a daily basis, um, ultimately kicked her out on the streets in Moscow. And she was rescued by a good Samaritan who contacted the Nigerian embassy, who then contacted us, um, because she was really looking just for another opportunity to see her daughter, who she had left uh, back in Nigeria. Um, and, you know, we partnered with the, uh, an international organization. We got her back to Nigeria. At that point, she had to be on dialysis, um, you know, three times a week. And, you know, ultimately, we did the best that we could as far as funding was concerned. But then when we tried to get support from other organizations and government agencies in Nigeria, you know, they were, they, they had absolutely nothing to contribute. And I think the mindset and the mentality, um, and I, one of the things I recall specifically about that story was, you know, asking the Commissioner for Women's Affairs at the time, you know, what do people in faith's position um, do when they don't have the financial resources? Nigeria doesn't have the infrastructure to support, you know, young women um, like her, who who are, who are in a position um, where they're where they're ultimately facing life and life or death uh, circumstances, and you know her response very casually to me at the time was, you know, well they just die, you know, and and that that particular line, in addition to the last words that I heard from Faith, which you know were her screaming in the um, in the telephone, you know, Auntie, I'm dying, Auntie, I'm dying, um, were things that still continue to hound me today. And so it's not necessarily a story um, that, you know, ends well in the sense that, you know, ultimately Faith passed away um, at the, you know, age of 31, leaving an eight-year-old daughter that is in the exact same circumstances that, you know, rendered her vulnerable. Um, and in a country that, you know, ultimately is um, unwilling even though we are able to provide the sort of um, infrastructure that would provide, you know, that would ultimately have um, prevented situations like this from happening. And so those sorts of stories, I think, are, are what keep me going. Um, but there are other incredible stories of women who have been able to step into um, a space of hope 
um, where we've been able to support with what I refer to as a redemptive rescripting of, of what their story uh, uh, could have been and, um, and you know, are in a space now uh, where they are thriving um, are serving as uh, survivor advocates and you know really helping to bring hope and restoration uh, to other young women as well. But I think stories like Faith's are the ones that really push me um, and, 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 and provide me with this level of, um, of um, frustration, you know, enough righteous indignation to ensure that um, this sort of thing never happens particularly in a country that has the capacity to prevent it from, from doing so. Well, there's so much to unpack in that. And I, I wish we had much more time because I have so much to say, but I'm, I'm going to keep this brief. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really sad. And it just tells you how, you know, these traffickers take, and, and which you've mentioned in a number of interviews that you've done, you know, take advantage of the vulnerability of, of women in circumstances where they're desperate. And um, they leverage that to get them involved in this. And I, and I like how you said, you know, get involved in this quote unquote opportunity because what they see, what their uh, definition of an opportunity is very different from, you know, Faith's definition of what the opportunity would lead to. Um, and, and it's really, really heartbreaking to, to hear um, sort of the reaction from you know, some of these people that should, should be more um, galvanized to, to help you know, our fellow Nigerians. And, um, and I, but I do love that, that that's what drives you and that's what keeps you going. Cause you know, sometimes for, for some people it's just, they're hopeless and they don't, they don't, they just feel like this is a helpless situation. And then they, they do make comments like, well, they're just gonna die. Um, but that right. actually just made you more empowered to continue the work that you do. And we're so grateful for that. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of jump back to you actually, Elon, um, because, you know, I'm really, really uh, fascinated by your background. And I know you, you've, you've told this story many times, uh, you know, you've worked as a lawyer in a defense law firm in New York for over a decade until you felt this call to activism and advocacy on behalf of all the women and girls uh, in Nigeria, which of course led you to start up Pathfinders. And I, again, like I mentioned, I am familiar with your journey to Pathfinders, but for our listeners who are not familiar with your story, can you, can you share with us your journey to Pathfinders? Yeah, you know, I, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, I've always known that I was gonna be working uh, with women and girls. I mean, from when I was a child, um, you know, my parents would, you know, have me, um, you know, people, people would come to the house and, you know, and it would, I would always be the one, you know, advocating for people, particularly, um, uh, um, you know, I, I, I ultimately, um, you know, became, ultimately became a lawyer and then um, started work um, at, a, at a New York uh, firm where I, you know, um, you know, so Nigerian in us, right? Like, if we're gonna do anything, we're we're gonna be the best. At, <laughs> we're gonna be the best at it. And ultimately, I became a partner at the firm. And you know, I think for for a black woman in corporate America, that was you know the ultimate definition, right, of of success. You have the corner office. I was you know working, uh, supervising you know eight other lawyers, and you know, but I always you know had this sort of um, you know I refer to it as as God giving me the gift of discomfort, where I just I, I even though I was 
quote unquote financially successful. Um, I just knew that this was not ultimately what my life, um, my life's work should be. And so I started reading a book called Let Your Life Speak. And there's a, um, it's a book by Parker Palmer. And there's a line in the poem that says, ask me whether what I've done is my life. And um, that was on a Friday. And, you know, for whatever reason, that line just kept resonating in my spirit in October of 2013. And um, I just kept thinking, ask me whether what I've done is my life. And at this point, I was 13 years in, um, in my practice. And, and uh, you know, for, you know, for whatever reason, that weekend, you know, God gave me the courage uh, because on Monday, you know, I, I went into my senior partner's office. I handed him my uh, resignation letter and said, look, I'm going to go do um, what my life um, has been beckoning, you know, for me to do. And, you know, I think he thought I was crazy and I don't blame him. I mean, it sounded crazy. And many of my friends and um, even some of my family members were like, you know, who who does that? Like, who walks away from, um, quote unquote, the epitome of, of success, particularly for a black woman um, in America, um, to go to go do this kind of work? And I think a lot of the suggestions to me was, well, you know, you can put your finances into somebody else's um, into somebody else's project, and but. And I think I tried, you know, doing that through the years, but it just for, it just, you know, it, I just knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing. And um, I had the sense of urgency, you know, about it. And so I left and I remember my last day driving out of um, the law firm in, in, in my nice car and, you know, with my nice uh, work bag and, you know, and then looking up and like to God, like, oh my God, what, what did I just do? Um, but, you know, I've not looked back since then. And I think, you know, when I look back now over the, you know, thousands of lives that we've been able to impact, um, it certainly was the right decision and the right call uh, for me. And, you know, I certainly look forward to, you know, many more years of, of being able to really transform the, the landscape. Um, and it's not just about, you know, superficial responses. What we're really trying to do is address the root causes um, that are really putting women in a position of vulnerability, intentionally rendering them vulnerable um, so that they have access uh, to opportunity, to a different um, alternative to um, the one that is ultimately fated for them. I, I, I never get tired of listening to that story. <laughs> it's so inspiring. And, and I love, you know, your approach to addressing this issue, because I know in, in some interviews you've done, uh, there's so much money kind of being funneled into the efforts, but uh, it doesn't seem like people are looking at the root causes, which is what, what Pathfinders is all about. And, um, you know, that's why you guys have accomplished so much, I think, in the short amount of time, seven years, it's not even 10 years, and, and you've, you've, you've done so much. And, you know, speaking of that, uh, Pathfinders led the facilitation of Nigeria's first ever gap analysis on human trafficking or, you know, a large scale evaluation to identify the gaps in current anti-trafficking efforts within Nigeria. Um, and, and human trafficking, it's been a long-term pervasive issue in Nigeria. Why just recently in 2019 was this first, was this the first ever gap analysis facilitated? You know, I, I think it's, you know, there, you, there have been many people um, working in this area over the years. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, almost immediately identified was the lack of coordination uh, between efforts, right? So rather than having, you know, individual organizations working in silos, 
um, we thought it made sense to bring everybody together. It just, you know, it just seems like kind of the, you know, the, the most logical uh, thing to do. Uh, and, you know, that was what we were able to accomplish uh, in 2019. And, you know, we've seen, you know, we, we've been able to reap the benefits of having um, a group of diverse um, stakeholders um, come together in one space to say, hey, these are all the things that are causing the bleeding. How about we address, um, we not just stop the bleeding, but really start to identify um, why uh, people are being why people are bleeding in, 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 in the first place. And so I think it took a long time because, um, you know, honestly, the value of human life in Nigeria is not something that has been prioritized uh, by, by our government. And as a result of that, there's not really enough funding to be able to uh, support initiatives like a gap, gap analysis. Um, and so I think, you know, ultimately, um, you know, what we're trying to do is get uh, stakeholders involved, particularly government, um, to understand how significant it is to be able to um, to, to identify the underlying uh, root causes, like like I mentioned earlier, because that's really the only way um, to build upon uh, trying to actually ad uh, address uh, address the issue on a long term sustainable basis. And I, and I know with, with Pathfinders, you, one thing I appreciate about your organization is really centering this uh, I, concept of valuing life, especially the Nigerian life, because, you know, as you mentioned, it seems like, um, you know, at least I could, we can imply from what you said is that there are lives that seem to be more valued than other lives. And, um, you know, that when it comes to issues like human trafficking, it becomes, you know, very easy to see that. And uh, and I appreciate that organizations like Pathfinders are really addressing the root causes and, and centering the fact that, you know, Nigerian lives are valuable. Uh, one, one question I had for you was from the gap analysis that Pathfinders did, was there anything that was surprising from, from the findings that, from the gap analysis? Yeah, I mean, there was actually quite, quite a lot uh, that was surprising. Um, I think that one of the things that most shocked me was the inability um, or um, not inability, I, I would say the, the fact that many of the stakeholders did not really understand the significance of including the voices of survivors in interventions, right? So, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have, you know, what, what people were utilizing was a very top-down approach, right? So people who had not necessarily even um, been involved in, in trafficking in any way, had no idea what the reality of that experience, um, didn't bring their lived experience as credible messengers to the, to the table, um, but were, were trying to formulate solutions uh, to, to a problem that they never experienced. And, and so I think that, you know, when we were, one of the things that we were intentional about in the gap analysis was including the voices of survivors in, in, in generating, in, a, in, in helping to identify what the gaps were and in, and in proffering potential solutions uh, to those gaps. And so I was, yeah, I was a bit taken aback, I think, um, at, the, at the fact that many of the stakeholders were, um, were not as uh, open uh, to that, because for us, it's really about ensuring that the people who have the lived experience, um, who are the most credible messengers, are the ones who frame 
uh, the, the solutions to the problems because they know precisely what puts them in that position of vulnerability and they can tell you what will get them out of it. So, um, you know, I, I, am, I was also surprised, you know, by the fact that we weren't um, able to really get a long-term engagement by the people who really could have taken all the information that we were able to glean from the gap analysis and, and, and immediately run uh, with it. And so as a result, it's been something that we've been having to, to fund um, on our own, uh, which, you know, for a smaller organization that does, doesn't necessarily have the ability of um, government, for example, to scale, um, you know, it's been something that uh, has been challenging for us, but that we're nonetheless uh, committed to doing in any event. You know, it surprises me actually that having the those the survivors of this not be a part of the solutions too um why do you think there was you know why do you think other people weren't as enthused about that why were other stakeholders not i'm i'm wondering what, what from your yeah. interactions with them why were they not trying to to also well, have I that mean, same mindset I, I, yeah I think that you know it. It was something that was evolving, right? At at the at the time, I think people are sort of accustomed to doing things uh, their own way. Um, but it's also, I think, uh, it was also because a lot of the funding was um, when I refer to a top-down approach. A lot of the funding for human trafficking in Nigeria is generated by international organizations that ultimately have their own agendas. They ultimately frame the manner in which um, the funds that are being invested into this particular area should be utilized, right? So it's hard for an organization to say, oh, no, by the way, we think that this is the way it should be done when you're relying on that funding uh, to, to be able to support your organization, right? And so um, for us, that's not, you know, we do the complete opposite. Um, it, it's, you know, there have been international organizations that have come to us to say, hey, we want to support your work in human trafficking, but you have to do it this way. And, you know, I've said, no, um, you know, we would, you know, God knows we need your funding and we need the money, but we know what's working. And that's, that's um, sitting down with survivors, sitting down with former traffickers and saying, look, how do we frame this intervention? And you'll tell us what to do because you guys are the ones who've experienced it. You know, I even me as a woman from Edo State and from Benin um, and from Nigeria have no idea what a trafficking experience um, feels like, looks like. Um, you know, the impact of it on 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 a survivor's life. So I'm certainly not in the best position, right? So let's talk to the people who have gone through this experience and let them frame exactly what they think the solutions are. And then we can you, you, you know, certainly utilize your funding to be able to implement that, right? And so for us, it's, it, it's important that survivors are involved um, in the, not just the design, um, in the iterations of, of projects, but also in the implementation of projects because they're the ones that bring the credibility um, to the to the work uh, that that we're doing, but I think you know at the end of the day, it really was just a, a sort of different perspective that people were not necessarily accustomed to, and one that could potentially challenge um, the source the sourcing uh, for for funds as well. Yeah, no, uh, you you brought really good insight about. Uh when it comes to funding, there are these um, contingencies on, on how it's used. And 
those recommendations that are given or suggestions may may not be appropriate for specific areas mm-hmm. and locations. And so I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I want to get, you know, shift a little bit to, you know, the gap analysis and the fact that just recently, you know, Pathfinders, you, you prepared and published these national guidelines for stakeholders on human trafficking for law enforcement officers, prosecutors, and judges, and providers that survive or that serve survivors of human trafficking in Nigeria. And um, these guidelines were informed by the, the trainings that Pathfinders conducted, which those trainings were informed by the gap analysis. And within the report, you know, you had a section on the common bottlenecks to a successful prosecution. And, you know, just for our listeners, some of the bottlenecks were, you know, threat of safety to the victims, poor investigation, defendant not showing up to trial, you know, lack of facility to, uh, to take the evidence. Do you believe that these bottlenecks are a reflection of dysfunction or, or p- poorly developed criminal justice systems? And, and what are ways that they can be addressed or, or mitigated? You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it, um, it, it ultimately goes back uh, to a certain level of complacency um, and even complicity in, in some instances. In, in the way that human life, again, in, is devalued in Nigeria. And so ultimately what happens is that you see this domino effect, right? So if you're not prioritizing people, right? Let's say you're putting, you're prioritizing profit over people. Ultimately what happens is that you then do not um, allocate the appropriate amount of funding to, be, to, to address um, you know, people, to, to be able to provide for them, to be able to um, support them, um, to be able to support infrastructure and, and, and systems that, that ultimately serve people through justice, right? And so at the end of the day, you ultimately end up with an organization um, or an a- agency, a national agency like we have in Nigeria that is underfunded, right? And so you see, you know, at, as a result of that, you see some of the bottlenecks um, that you mentioned, right? And so investigators uh, who may or may not have the necessary training um, are then, you know, don't necessarily have the equipment to conduct proper investigations. They don't have um, safety nets for, for survivors. So you have, you know, someone who, um, you know, is interested in prosecuting a case, but there's no witness protection program. There's, you know, there's no there, no, there, there are no ways that, that can provide that person with, with um, security in the sense that their trafficker, um, you know, they can be protected from their trafficker or, you know, the, the person who was being prosecuted for the crime. And so, you know, as a result of that, I think that, you know, many, well, I think that, that explains to a certain extent why we don't see um, a higher levels of convictions. You know, I think we had, you know, less than 30 uh, convictions um, in in 2020 uh, by the National um, Anti-Trafficking Agency in in Nigeria, and so you know, for me, I think that um, as far as addressing or mitigating some of these uh, bottlenecks, um, a lot of it really has to do with addressing um, the devaluation, like I mentioned earlier, um, addressing issues like you know corruption and um, you know allocating proper funding to um, some of these uh, some of these efforts that that are being made by my many uh, lawyers and prosecutors who are actually very interested in, in bringing justice for 
and some other people that have suffered, you know, many of these um, atrocities. You know, we have a fund, for example, that, you know, that uh, money from traffickers who have been convicted is supposed to go into, and ultimately that money is supposed to actually support uh, some of the survivors. But, you know, that, that fund is ultimately, um, has not been funded, right? Um, and so it's, it's those sorts of things that, that ultimately make um, survivors who are even, who are potentially interested in prosecuting the case, um, who give them a sense of apathy towards the whole process because they, they don't feel as if at the end of the day, they will get, they will get justice. But I think addressing some of the things that I mentioned, um, hopefully um, will, will put us a step in the right direction. Yeah, no, that, um, you know, I appreciate you kind of listing that out, the devaluing of life, the corruption, as you mentioned, you know, allocated funding. That's, that's insane to me that, that, that there's not money, um, you know, in funding to, for survivors. Uh, and I can see why if, if, if a woman or gets caught up in, in the sex trafficking network, why they wouldn't go through the, the trouble of, of making sure that you know, justice is served because there's there's a lack of support in that. Uh, so you do make a really really good point. Good points with that. I um I watched an interview of yours uh, earlier this year. It was uh, in April with I think it was Ching Talk Africa, uh, entitled "Eradicating Rape and Sex Trafficking." And and there was a lot you said. And I, I again I wish we could we can unpack all of, all that you said in that interview. But there was a comment you made that really resonated with me that human trafficking is hidden in plain sight and that as Nigerians, we don't like to talk about it. And, you know, you mentioned some of the cultural norms, you know, that we see when when we're in in Nigeria, forced begging children in the streets, begging when they should be in school or forced marriage. You'll see, you know, young girls marrying before they're even age 18. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you acknowledge this in the interview and, and even just now, I mean, there are a number of you know, economic issues that are major forces for, for why these activities are occurring. What do you believe are the ways that we can address this issue of human trafficking when some of these are activities are so embedded within our Nigerian culture? You know, that's, that's such a tough one because this is where, you know, really where the hard work, um, you know, kind of comes in. Uh, because it means changing our our mindset, right, and eliminating the sense of othering of of people that that we so readily do in Nigeria, right? It's um you know you can the the idea that you can have somebody come you know a cousin even I mean someone who is a blood relative come from uh, a, a faraway village you know to to the city and you know have them work you know hours that you would not want your children working in somebody else's home, not provide them with, you know, proper education, not provide them with the necessary um, food, <laughs> you know, to be able to thrive. Like we, we become so disconnected, you know, from, from one another. And because we have normalized many of um, the forms of human trafficking across the country, it's hard to start to, um, you know, bring a sense of, of uh, empathy you know, back uh, to 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 the um, 
to the equation. And I think that's what's actually required is, is for us to start to see each other again. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a piece a few years ago called See Me, See You. And, you know, trying to get people to understand that every time that you, you take one action towards another person that devalues that human being, you're essentially authorizing somebody else, you know, whether it's a man in, 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 in the case of a rape of a young child, um, essentially authorizing somebody else to do that to somebody that you love, right? And, and these, are, these are the kind of things that require like groundbreaking, earth-shifting um, um, pendulum swings in, in the way that we think um, about people in general. And, you know, we are trying to do that sort of um, difficult, challenging work uh, by bringing, um, as an example, bringing men to the table, right, to help them understand by listening to the voices of survivors, of, you know, women survivors, the impact of what a rape has done to this particular person because many people don't really think about it when they make jokes for example about oh the bodies of women or you know just you know they laugh in in their circles um when someone is 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 making uh, an inappropriate joke and uh you know trying to get men to understand that look this is something that that you can change you can speak up as an advocate um as, as an ally you know for women and you know creating small circles um, through our school clubs, for example, um, where we have, um, you know, Pathfinder student ambassadors that talk to their own, you know, community in their voice, in their language, in the way that young people will understand. So that it's not us necessarily going there to say, oh, do it this way. It's, it's, it's training the ambassadors, the student ambassadors, and then having them utilize their platforms um, in their own words, in their own voices, in a way that will be engaging uh, for, for the people that are listening uh, to them. And so it, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's not something that we can do overnight, um, but I think you know, by, by utilizing um, the, the volunteers and the people who are actually interested in seeing a shift in the narrative, um, we're hopefully we'll make, um, we'll make small steps uh, towards uh, what, is, what is a larger objective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, you know, you mentioning this has to be a mindset shift and um, it, it is a lot of work and, and, and it's amazing that, you know, a lot of the times with this work, you think it just it's a specific demographic with the fact that you're branching out and, and getting young ambassadors, men in the story, as many people who, who want to help out um, that exposure, that's, that's really how we can start creating that shift. So I, I love the, the approach in that. Uh, what, if people want to know more about the topics we discussed today, are there any resources you can recommend and, and how can people learn more about this subject? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think one of the um, one of the first places to start um, is perhaps visiting our website. Uh, you know, it's Pathfinders uh, with SJI.org. Uh, we have a fact sheet uh, on there about human trafficking um, in in Nigeria and Sub-Saharan Africa, and I think that you know that's sort of a one-stop shop because it gives you. Um, details about the reality of what we're facing, um, not just uh, in Nigeria, but also um, across um, Africa. But I think there are also, you know, there, there are websites uh, such as, if you're interested in Nigeria in particular, you know, NAPTIP 
which is a national anti-trafficking um, agency, also has a lot of information on their website uh, as well. Um, there um, send the other resources uh, that, you know, Polaris is, is an example of, of a international um, organization that, you know, really calls together uh, statistics across various aspects of human trafficking um, across the globe. And so those are a few that, that I, would, I would mention as a starting point. That's wonderful. I'll, I'll make sure to link that in our notes section of the podcast, uh, including your website. Uh, do you have any parting words for women of color who are interested in entering this field? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I parting word. I always have parting words for for women in general. Um, you know, which uh, to me, I've you know, I've really been um, really focused recently on on efforts to decolonize our voices, right? Um, because I feel like so much of who we are, particularly as, as women of color, has been informed by outside forces, external forces that are not necessarily a reflection of us as bearers of the image and likeness uh, of, of God, right? And um, so really encouraging uh, women to, to, to do that as a starting point, right? Really stripping back to our, you know, to ensuring that we're embracing um, the, 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 the breadth, right, of, of what a powerful a woman of color looks like and bringing all of that power to the table, right? Taking up our space without apology um, and, and understanding the power that, that our voices maintain um, and stripping away like all the things that, you know, that have, you know, ultimately been forced upon us in an effort to define us or to subjugate us or even, you know, systems like patriarchy, um, it, you know, really unearthing um, some of our own, our own, um, the, the strength of, of who, of who we are, right, and allowing that to inform our choices um, and, our, and our decision. But I think as far as women specifically who are interested in, in this particular field. I think it's, it's, it's a matter of, again, just connecting to why, to your why, right? Understanding what it is about this particular um, work that resonates with you. And then, and, and once you've been able to identify that, finding organizations that are doing um, that aspect of the work, right? So because human trafficking is such a broad um, area. I mean, you can, you can do everything from volunteering, um, with uh, with an, a large organization like Polaris um, to, to working with one you know like ours um, as well right so I, I my recommendation I think again would just be you know finding whichever aspect of it resonates with you connecting with that organization by starting uh, through volunteerism right and it's um, you know I think that that is one way that you can you can start to you know build up your stamina right for this kind of work because it does, it, it, it's tasking, it, it, it's emotionally, um, it's, it, it can be emotionally um, a draining at times. Um, and so it's so important that if there are underlying aspects of the work that might be triggering um, for, for you and your own trauma, that those things are you know, ultimately healed before you begin. Um, engaging in this kind of work because at the end of the day you don't you know you want to make sure that you're in a position to be able to pour into other other people 
um, as well. But yeah, certainly volunteering is certainly one way. You can also support, um, obviously, with your finances. Um, you know, no amount. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a plug for us here. No amount is too small. I mean, every every you know, even for um, anything as as little as five, ten, fifteen dollars goes a long way in providing some level of support in the work uh, that we're doing. But um, I, I certainly would encourage anybody that's interested uh, to to figure out their why and then make that make that ultimate connection through an organization. I absolutely love love what you said, Yvonne. It really resonated with me, especially like you said, being purposeful about what your your why and why you're getting involved in a specific work. And you know, as a woman of color, especially as Black women not apologizing for who you are and, you know, embracing the powerful force that we are and, and being in the image and likeness of God. I thought that was really beautiful. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, volunteering and, and making sure you're familiar with the work to, you know, see if it's something that you can sustain. And speaking of, of sustainability, you said it, it is emotionally draining work. And even the story you mentioned earlier, I mean, as you were telling it, I, I definitely felt myself reacting. How do you maintain how do you maintain the, the stamina to to continue with this hard work <laughs> yeah you know I, I think I've, I've come to a place now that um you know I realize that part of what keeps me um engaged and in, in going is is not only the fact that I'm an optimist by nature um it's you know it's also because you know I'm a visionary and you know I keep seeing the world as it should be, right? Um, as opposed to, you know, the day-to-day the -day, um, reality of what it is, which doesn't necessarily um, negate from, from that. But I think I, because I've been gifted with um, this um, ability to see what God's original intention um, was, that is just something I think that, you know, is probably not just unique to me, but also unique to, to other visionaries as well. But I think there's also an aspect of me that has a sense of righteous indignation to the work at, that doesn't allow me to stay in the space of, of, of the emotional aspect of it. There's, you know, I think it's easy, um, you know, day to day as we're, because every, every survivor that comes to us is, is, it, the stories are just bad or worse, right? There's not really any kind of, oh, this was not, not a you know, decent situation. I mean, the stories are horrifying. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, what has been, what has helped me was, is some of the things that I mentioned, um, um, but also I think, you know, ensuring that I'm very focused on self-care, right? So whether it's, you know, working out or, you know, healing my own trauma from, from things I've experienced in the past, um, ensuring that you know I'm 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 meditating I'm you know uh, practicing mindfulness these are all things that you know I think help put me in a space of resiliency right um, against some of the systems that come against uh, the efforts that we're making and those are you know it's not you know whether they're traffickers whether they're um, whether it's pushed back from um, stakeholders who may not understand you know, our perspective, um, whether it's, you know, even government officials that may not necessarily um, want to provide the funding that we need to be able to make uh, some of the, you know, to scale some of the things that we see that are succeeding. There's certainly a lot um, that's coming, coming at 
at us as an organization. And so I think it's important that, you know, for me um, as, as a leader uh, to ensure that, you know, I'm in a space of, you know, mental um, fortitude uh, in many ways. And those are some of the things that I, that I put into place to ensure that. I absolutely love that, uh, especially the, the self-care. I think, you know, as a, as a powerful woman of color leading an organization, especially doing the incredibly hard work you're doing, yeah, it, it is important to engage in self-care and, and that's how you're able to sustain it and, and continue it and um, to manifest this vision of, of a better world. And, and I, I really love that. Are there any events that are occurring in the next couple of months that we should know about related to some of this work, maybe that Pathfinders is facilitating that we can get involved with online via Zoom or, or, or maybe other organizations or stakeholders that you guys are partnering with? Yeah, I mean, there's always, there's always something happening. I mean, we conduct um, you know, trainings uh, for our survivors. Um, every month we have an outreach of, of, of some sort. Um, so I think that if there are you know, people who are interested in engaging, uh, you know, I, I always say that there's, there's you know, everybody um, has some aspect of their experience or their skills that they can bring uh, to the table to support the work uh, that we're doing. So trainings, for example, that we conduct uh, with survivors, um, you, know, you know, that can range anywhere from, you know, legal expertise uh, to mental health trainings to physical health trainings to exercise you know if you're a yoga instructor whatever it is you can you know you can certainly join us on, online and provide um, your expertise uh, in in that uh, but I think you know one of the things I'm really excited that we're launching um, next month is uh, our hers uh, online um, hub of her and when I say hers we're referring to a hub of economic resources for survivors and it's a, actually an online platform where any survivor across the globe will be able to log in uh, from wherever she is and um, get access to you know training videos to uh, resources to information about you know if they're if they're thinking about coming back to Nigeria um, about organizations that are in their local um, community that provide uh, support if they're looking to exit uh, forced prostitution, um, you know, information that will, you know, provide them with a, access to a community of other survivors where they can engage and get, you know, that support, one-on-one uh, -on -one, peer to peer uh, support and encouragement. It will have a marketplace where survivors can uh, promote their own individual uh, businesses as well to be able to um, engage a larger community outside of Nigeria. And so um, that was something that has really, you know, we've been looking uh, for, for support for for quite some time. And, you know, we're fortunate to, to have um, uh, Expertise France, uh, one of our donors, uh, really believe in that vision so that survivors, because um, normally we're able to reach a certain amount of survivors physically in person um, across Nigeria, but this is a website that will allow survivors from you know, wherever they are um, in the world to be able to log on and get uh, support um, as, as needed um, in, at their convenience as well. And so really, really excited about that initiative um, and looking forward to be able to um, scale our work um, across that platform as well. That That is wonderful. If I, uh, Yvonne was wearing this gorgeous necklace and it's it's from one of 
the survivors of violence. And I definitely plan to, to log into that marketplace once it's up and running uh, so I can not only be contributing, but wearing gorgeous jewelry. So thank you so much <laughs> <Yes>. for <laughs> mentioning that. Um, I'm writing a report where I will be highlighting Pathfinders and we're planning to publish it in WCAPs and you know WISE and, and through some of the, the policy publications throughout my school. So I'm really excited to delve into this conversation because it'll really inform my report. So this is this has been great. Thank you, Yvonne, for for just the amazing work you do, for your spending your time to talk to me. I, I really appreciate your expertise and sensitivity to this topic. I thank you so much. Um, everyone, please follow. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say thank you uh, for the opportunity and for um, for the work that that you're that y'all are also doing. Uh, you know, uh, WCAPs to to bring um, you know to raise awareness. You know, on this issue, it's not just something that's affecting uh, you know Nigerian women. I mean, it's human trafficking is embedded into every society um, in every country across the world. I mean, some statistics indicate that up to 40 million people are trapped in some form of human trafficking uh, with the overwhelming uh, majority of them being women and girls. And so this is, you know, this is something that I certainly encourage uh, people to get involved in. Um, and, um, you know, if you see something, as we say, if you see something, please say something. You could, you know, honestly be saving, saving the life of someone. So thank you uh, for the opportunity. It's been my absolute honor to be able to join you. Thank you. And I just want to, tell everyone, please follow Yvonne and her amazing work. She already mentioned ways that you can understand more about the topic, pathfindersji.org. They're all over social media, IG and Twitter, pathfindersji, Facebook, Pathfinders Justice Initiative. Bar Yvonne's IG handle is findyrpath. And please donate to this wonderful organization um, and follow them on social media. I'll link everything in the notes portion of this podcast. We also want to encourage everyone to sign up to be a WCAPS member. It's free at WCAPS.org. Uh, look at all of the amazing work that we're doing, including you'll be connected to a network of, of great women of color. Yvonne, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really hope we can we can bring you back again on this show. I, I had I really learned so much, and I'm I'm appreciative of this time with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap. <laughs> All right. Thank you.